This week, and out now with Aaron and Abe, we're doing a Netflix showcase special. We don't have any of the Netflix money, though. Uh. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe! Hello! 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 That's pretty good. That's all right. Out, we'll work on that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll We're not sharps. <laughs> Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover the various movies topics. Jump up until mostly spoiler for your review. Then jump back to other fun movie topics. This is, uh, this is a bonus episode. This is... Yeah, it is. It's a, it's our uh, our Netflix 2018 Fall Showcase. Yeah. Showcase, showcase. You can't see it, but Hugh Jackman's dancing in the background right now. Yeah, he's just like holding like... This is the greatest show! It's, yeah, it's I don't know the song. All, I've never all of that. Yeah. It, it's, it's all... It, it's big. It's a big, it's a big celebration. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're taught... We're, we figured there's... In between, once again, in between weeks of like big releases or what have you, and since Abe doesn't have access to some of the smaller releases that are coming out in like platform release, we figured why not come over some of the like big Netflix releases that have come out in recent weeks. Since there's been a lot of them, but mainly one in particular, which we've alluded to in the past, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the new Coen Brothers film. Um, so we figured we'll talk about that. Uh, we got a couple other movies we'll get into. Mowgli's one of them. Private Life is one of them. And I, I figured, yeah, this should, this should be a fun way to kind of handle things in between, like, all the big stuff that's coming out at, towards the end of December here. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And joining us this week to talk some of these movies, we have from the freeway up from me and down the freeway from Abe, he's frantically searching for Mr. Pocket, it's Adam Gentry. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Adam, it's good to have you back. I hate to tell you this, but, uh, you know, the Gold Rush is in the northern part of the California the northern part of the California? Yes. Do you know something like we don't? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying here. Well, um, it looks like the, the plan to split California into three states has failed for now. That was so taken at least off for the now ballot. we're all part of the same state. Yeah, that was taken off the ballot, and I just laughed because I, I, I thought to myself, that guy must be such a dork to, first of all, ask for that. And then to have it stricken from the primary ballot... I just laughed even harder. So, you know, F that guy. We could have called it California. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> That'd be terrible. Yeah. Anyway, guys, I'm sure your listeners are now thinking, man, who the heck is this Adam guy, and why did they bring him on? And why did they bring in California politics? <laughs> well, I had to, I had to, um, I used the handy search bar on my recently remodeled blog to search the last time you were on the show. And aside from your brief pop-up on the 300th episode, where we had a lot of pop-ups come in, um, the last one was on the uh, the Last Jedi, where we were since on non-speaking terms because you really hate, <laughs> because you really hated the movie, and Abe and I were right. So I mean, it's you know that's how it's been for the while now. Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a neutral third party here. You're Switzerland in this equation? Yes, ex- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're the Bothans. I'll, I'll just Live. take all your money, uh, but I'll be neutral on everything. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean you listen, Worst to things that, to be. listen to that 300th episode, and it's clear, like, just Abe's talking to you. I'm just kind of like, yeah, he's here, I guess. That's, like, how it, how, how it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there, were, there were tough times, you know, <laughs> dark moments. Dark moments. But, yes, it, it's, it's good to have you back on the show, Adam. Are you happy? Oh, glad to be here, guys. Yeah. 
And uh, let's just let's get into things, guys. Uh, first up, let's get to some show notes real quick. Um, it is December, which means it is a new month, which means it is new time for commentaries. And uh, this week, uh, we uh, or not this week, but coming soon. Um, I was talking to Brandon about this a little bit. Tombstone celebrates its 25th anniversary this year, guys. Wow. Well, you tell them that hell is coming with them. <laughs> yeah, and we're coming with a commentary. That's the next plan. We're going to do a Tombstone commentary track, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll, uh, that'll probably come out sometime very soon. soon. Yeah, this week or next week. Um, but for the time being, yeah, that's the plan. And that will be on iTunes, where you can find all of our shows. And speaking of which, you can find our show on iTunes, where you can also give us a rating or review. You can uh, log on iTunes, search for our show, give us a star rating, write us a little review. That'd be great. Thank you so much in advance. Yeah. And when you click on the stars, five is the one you want. I mean, we're not requiring it. It's certainly preferable. But, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, can, it's how you, you feel. You can do it, less it's, than it's, five, or you, you, know, you don't want to be wrong. I just don't want to see your audience like that. Mm. I appreciate that, for sure. And, of course, it just pops us up in the old iTunes charts when we get these ratings reviews. So, you know, it's good to get those. Yeah, good looking out. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's move on, guys. Let's get to know everybody. We reach we ask each other a question or two. Try to set the tone for the podcast, and better get to know everybody. Know everybody. Know everybody. That's good. Who was that? Who was that last person there? I don't know. Okay. I hope he's gone. <laughs> okay. He sounds cute. I have a question for you guys. Hit it. Have you ever been involved in a spontaneous singing situation? Uh, example. If you have to think about it, I mean, we just harmonized like three minutes ago in the opening of the show. I mean, that seems like, yeah, that's that's not a bad example, I suppose, although you're the one that harmonized with yourself, so it's, you know, it's a little... <laughs> so I'm going to guess my answer is yes, I, I seem to sing all the time then. Well, maybe you like, <laughs> I don't know, you walk into like a group of friends and they're singing something, you're like, oh, I know this song, you start joining in. Um... Or you're like at a big celebration parade or something everybody's singing along and you start singing along it's not like it was planned you're just like oh there's a song we know yeah there you go <laughs> yeah I, we, I was once at a wedding in kentucky or was it kentucky no i was in cincinnati cleve where was i i can't even remember oh, i was somewhere over the there kentucky of the north <laughs> and the uh and bohemian rhapsody came on and everybody Ooh. on the dance floor shared a, a great moment of singing and gesturing and acting really noble and dignified it was great <laughs> that's nice good that's, That's a long song. <laughs> oh, it, oh, but we knew every word. Have <laughs> hey, you got a question? I do have a question for you guys. The question is, if you had a company, a company light ne- like Netflix, basically one in which, hey, there's ideas that we have here and you're greenlighting them, would you greenlight everything that came across your desk seemingly the same way that Netflix is? No. I mean, no. <laughs> I, I put some thought to this. I would say... Obviously, that's an over-exaggeration of how they act at the same time. Well, yes, it is, but let me let me give you some qualifiers here. There's probably, like, over uh, 20 million subscribers, and they're all paying at least, like, $10 each. That's a lot of money a year. Oh, a month, actually. It's it's per month. Mm-hmm. You mean to say they're wealthy? I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, it seems <laughs> as though they're not afraid of putting some chips in because they do have this subscription base that does pay for... These people that, uh, you know, so stand-up comedians, they get paid like $15 million for for a special. Or Ballad of Buster Scruggs, who's, uh, or I'm sorry, like, Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, who's... That was sold by Warner Brothers, too, though. Uh, okay, okay. It's tricky. I feel like with some of the Netflix shows that I watch, some of them, I'm always surprised that they're not better. Um, no, there, there are exceptions. Like, I thought 
I haven't watched this show in years, but when House of Cards came on, which was the first one they did, I thought it was just stellar. Mm-hmm. And watching stuff like, you know, even some of the Disney Netflix shows, many of which are now canceled, you know, you just kind of watch them and you think, why isn't, you know, why isn't, why doesn't this have a bigger budget for pr- the production? Why aren't the actors better? You just, it's kind of this weird thing where you just kind of feel like, if this is the future, shouldn't we care a little more and try a little harder? I mean, it goes... I mean, it's, it's not like there aren't like a series of acclaimed Netflix shows that exist out there, but I understand. Oh, hundred percent. I, I love Ozark, for I, example. Sure. Ozark is one of my favorite shows right now. I think it's a, it's a mix of it's it's the people involved, and where Netflix is not like a studio that's been around for decades, they don't have this kind of core base of un, of people that like are, you know, saying like this is how we do it, this is how it can get done, or have like a series of rules that they can apply to. It, it, for Netflix, seems like it's a little more freewheeling and you know, open sure. to experimentation and ideas, which can go well, given that there's a f- level of freedom that film- filmmakers and creators have that other studios may not allow them, but that also takes away the collaboration process that comes with having a series of producers or whatnot that can make certain choices that they know work well for features or TV series. Mm-hmm. Like it's, oh, it's, sure. a, it's a give and take. I mean, it's like, it's one by, thing. By yeah, the way, I, mean, I want to quickly update that Netflix has about 58 million U.S. subscribers alone. Yeah, I, so I, that, I, I knew 20 was very low. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so glad, we're, I'm we're glad you found like, the exact number. Yeah, we're, we're talking like over like a uh, over $600 million uh, a month. I think what doesn't help in this discussion, and but good question, Dave, because it, is, it does apply to our podcast this week, but it's... Uh, we don't know enough about Netflix. I think. I think that's a big part of it too. Like they're very mysterious as far as the numbers that they have and yeah, yeah, right. They, they don't release yeah. how their production process works or what have you. Like it's not. It's not. You know, it's highly speculative about how things get done around there. That said, yeah, they're, I they're mean, not exactly transparent. You know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like they're both in debt, but also like putting out films by Alfonso Cuarón and the Coen this Brothers. This is true. So exactly. It's like, yeah. I mean, they're putting out award-winning or I guess award-nominated films. So it's not as though they're they're putting out all our garbage. But it is one of those things where you guys are mentioning that mm-hmm. there seems to be some shows that just don't really hit it off that well. And some movies that don't hit it off that well, and in between, you will find something that you you like. I mean, I was surprised by uh, uh, what's my call it? To all the boys I've ever loved before, but I'm kind of not that pleased with some of the TV shows. Um, like there was like one called The Ranch, where I was like, "Who's watching this show?" Well, that's, a, that's, kinda... that's a show for for middle America, honestly. That's 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 the okay. audience for that show. Like that's who it appeals to, and that's why it's been on for seven years. Like it's has that really been seven years? Well, like part seven is coming out this week. I saw that. Holy oh, cow! Yeah. But you know stuff like that where they must know something that we don't. Obviously, like what you what you guys are alluding to. But well, diff- I mean, there's people. Ha- there's different appeal to different people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, oh, it's yeah. not. But, it, but at the same time, it's not like it's the only studio that has things that fail. Like you know, oh, there's, sure. there's plenty of TV shows that, that get canceled every single year. There's plenty of movies that get terrible reviews every single year. It's not like Netflix is new to the idea of things that don't succeed. That's a great point. I think and, though they're going to be concentrated. They're really on the cusp, though. I mean, I, I think them getting stuff like. The Coen Brothers movie and Quaron and this this whole little little window for theatrical distribution and go straight to Netflix. I think is the way of the future. Well, yeah, and they may they may be in debt now, but I don't think it's going to last. Well, they I mean they've cert- they made a stamp by just by having this new way of doing things as far as streaming and, and embracing that future. And at the same time, now they want to step up to the table. They want to get like Mudbound last year was a big big push for like obviously Beast of No Nation was a bigger push than normal because right. it's, you know they had potential. Mudbound actually got them four Academy Award nominations this year. Roma's probably going to get a whole bunch of Academy Award nominations. Yeah. And so it's like you know who's beating them though in the awards category for uh, online movie distributors. 
Amazon. Amazon, yeah, because they're put things theatrically. Like they're they're not they're not as slow to the take as as Netflix is. So it's like, yeah. Have you guys seen Roma yet? Aaron has. Anna and I have. Is it good? I mean, we'll talk about that next week. I mean, I'll just say it's not like that movie's getting great reviews because it's okay. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, that was my question. Thanks for answering it. Okay. I'll take my answer off here. My question I'll throw out there because yeah, someone yeah. has to throw a Cohen question. Um, I'm curious to know what you think your favorite Cohen Brothers movie is and what you think the best Cohen Brothers movie is. It's a great question. Uh, Fargo and Lebowski. <laughs> I think I think Fargo and I guess no kind. It's hard, honestly. I look at these. It's all, very hard. Like because then I'm like, well, inside I love Lou inside Lou and Davis, but then like every time I think about like Barton Fink or A Serious Man, which feel more personal, but they're also like every time I think about those, they climb the charts for me. So it's it's very difficult. Lebowski though, it just might be my favorite because I've watched it the most. I would say I, like they think that's what it comes down to with that movie. That said, I've watched Fargo a ton as well, so it's <laughs> so I don't know. So I, Lebowski favorite and Fargo best. I. Yeah, that or No Country. Gotcha. Which it's yeah. weird because it's easier. That's it's a tough e- one. It's easier with Tarantino for me, where I'm like, I, I'm like Jackie I, Brown. Jackie Brown's my favorite, and I think Glorious yeah. Bastards is his best. I think that's, that's a, interesting. I, I think too. as a director, that's his best movie. I think as far as my favorite, and it's not like there's much, there's not you know much of a space between most of his films as far as which one's my favorite because I like all of his movies. But it's like, yeah. like that for some reason well, that's easier for me to define than the Coen Brothers. I don't know. <laughs> There's more. I, I, think, I guess the Coens have more movies, so that helps too. But that's true. I mean, it's hard to choose a favorite from the the Coen brothers. One that I continuously will rewatch all the time is definitely No Country for Old Men. So I think that's probably one of their best. Uh, one of my favorites is Raising Arizona, just because I I'm a big Holly Hunter fan, but I just like the way that that story resolves itself in it the has end. So that, much heart. Yeah, <laughs> and, like it starts off super goofy, and it definitely is from you know you can tell that the directors are. are they're trying things out because um, you'll see it again come up in Hudsucker Proxy the way that they they shoot and whatever else. Um, but just the way that it it plays out, I was like, oh, this is a movie that I did not expect to be so uh, at times heartwarming, but also a complete story of these these idiots who want a family who are not so much idiots. They just they're idiots with hearts of gold. They are really stupid. <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty dumb. It's funny that you mentioned Hudsucker because the, I mean the Coens are friends of Sam Raimi, and Raising Arizona certainly has the most Raimi in it as far as the camera style. And then Sam Raimi co-wrote Hudsucker with them, so it's like those those two are like linked in. They're some very way. related. They're very yeah, related. They, yeah, you, you can see the, the shots do look very similar. You can see the strings between them. Adam, what's your, what are your what are your yeah what are yours? Favorites? Oh gosh, so this is again. You're so right. It is so tough to to pick just because they the Coen Brothers movies just kind of all bunch together. In the best possible way, and that their their the caliber is so high. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to pick what I think their best movie is, I really can't get around No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Although I could easily, you know, it could easily be something else. It's just for me, I think that movie. If you wanted to tell somebody how to make a film, just give them that, mm-hmm. and just have them watch that because it's it's just textbook. Um, as far as my favorite, oh my gosh, that is hard. Um, uh. Gosh, I'm really unprepared to answer my own question. <laughs> uh, it's going to be between Fargo and Big Lebowski. Okay. Um, Fargo, for me, I just... Fargo is really meaningful. I really love that bit at the end. That There's just that touch of grace in the, in the car at the end that really gets me. And then Big Lebowski, I think, is just... 
I think it's just a stunning piece of work. I mean, nobody knew what to make of it when it came out, and mm-hmm. it's really funny and it's off kilter. But I think it also has a really, really big heart beating in it that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't necessarily yeah. maybe think of it first. And it's a take on a Raymond Chandler story, so it's hard to know what not to love about that movie. There you go. My lovely girlfriend's sitting right next to me. Anna, you're 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 a big Miller's Crossing fan, right? She's nodding. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about favorite and best Coen Brothers films. I know you're a big Miller's Crossing fan. Oh, yeah, a lot of things. And she likes Inside Llewyn Davis as well. We saw that together, Aaron, didn't we? Yeah, we did. You and uh, John uh, saw that. Yeah. The hey, John? John? John Van Dyke on the show. Yeah. Oh, JVD. JVD, exactly. Yeah. Missing the sea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, cool. That's how you play. No, no everybody. Let's, uh, let's move on now. Let's get down to quickies. Trademark. Each one out now. We'll do it. I talk about those. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Register trademark. <laughs> RTM. Actually, it's just Circle R. Mm-hmm. Abe, have you seen any other movies this week? I saw the first uh, anthology piece to Tales from the Hood 2. Uh, I was curious about this because I've seen Tales from the Hood. And you're a fan. <laughs> I am, yeah. I actually do enjoy Tales from the Hood as goofy and as off kilter as it is. It is definitely a. Um, a movie in which stupid things happen, but they happen in very like odd, funny ways. And so going into this, I, I didn't know that this had come out. It kind of was uh, showing itself on Netflix. And again, it's anthology and Keith David is now your, uh, your narrator slash uh, crypt keeper type thing. And it is terrible. It, it is the first one. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know if you guys have seen this, Aaron. Have you have you checked this out? I haven't seen uh, Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood no. too. Okay, so at least for the first Tales from the Hood, which came out in, like 1997, or whatever, they actually had some kind of unique type scares. It's basically all these black exploitation type uh, short story anthology pieces, and they make them horrific. And in this one, it is it's it's production is super poor. I don't know why Keith David did this. Uh, this goes back to my question of like, did Netflix just throw a bunch of money at him? The answer probably is yes, um, but still, it is it is terrible because it's not unique. It's not interesting. It's not even like a little bit horrific or a little bit scary. Whereas uh, the first one, at least they dealt with themes of oh, this guy's an undertaker and he like cuts his uh, nephew's feet so he can save money, or you know horrific things about um, uh, slavery in the South with uh, these uh, white senators or what have you. This one was just like a doll and it was dumb. And I was like, I'm not going to watch the rest of this. So that was that. And then I also saw the entire season of the last OG. Uh, this is the Tracy Morgan TV show on TBS, uh, co-starring Tiffany Haddish. And it is much better with all the cussing in the show. Uh, cause on TBS, they, they obviously bleep out the, the cuss words, but it is much more effective with it. I think at times the the storyline of the first season kind of goes here and there. Obviously, they're they're setting the the foundation up for you to know who Tracy Morgan and his character is. Um, but there are some very strong episodes, and there are some not so strong episodes. And I kind of like how the revolving theme in the entire series is the Godfather, almost as a joke, but also as like a thing in which they they really strive to be. Because there's even. Uh, the plot in which he Michael tries to like take out a few cops uh, in Godfather Part One. So last OG, definitely check it out if you have some time on Netflix. It's, There's it's some neat to laughs. see. It's neat to see Tracy Morgan like doing like acting. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I, I I do think that's a it's a benefit. Like it's not just Tracy Morgan being like on like being like like he is in Thirty Rock, which is not bad for Thirty Rock because that's what's required of He's his character. He's actually acting in Thirty Rock too. 
He yeah. no, he is. I I mean, but you know what I mean. There's like a I know there's, a, there's a Tracy there's... Morgan persona, like he's Tracy Jordan in Thirty Rock, where like he's you know he's playing the thing that you know him to do. Where this he has to he's doing that sometimes, but he's also dialing it down, and it's like that's that, that's and he's trying to tell like a story, and it comes from like his you know his whole incident where he was in the coma and everything. Like he's it's not yeah. it's not word for word like that's what happened, but it's like it's he's taking from that experience and growing as a as an actor for it. And it's like, okay. I also want to mention that, uh, speaking of Tracy Morgan, kind of playing Tracy Morgan, the character, if you want to see Tracy Morgan toned down, yes, the last uh, the last OG, but for sure, the comedians and cars get in copy with Jerry Seinfeld. That episode, mm-hmm. you will see a completely different Tracy Morgan, and that is the authentic Tracy Morgan that you don't get to see all the time, where he's not on. Um, you know, for example, when he's on, you'll see him on TV shows, uh, like Conan and what have you, and that's that's a character he's playing. But it, it was really humbling to see him talk to Jerry Seinfeld uh, and just honestly have these thoughts about comedy and where it's going, and also his his accident. So check those out if you have time. But his, that's his, what I've been his watching. His stand up was pretty good too, where he also kind of delves into that. I haven't too. seen that one yet. Yeah, it's um, all. It's on Netflix also. Netflix okay. is just the place to be, apparently. That's, a, this is why a, we're having a special this week. Not a sponsor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Give us some of that sweet, sweet six hundred million, though. Adam, what have you seen recently? You know what? Um, I've actually really been enjoying another Netflix show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the Kaminsky Method with Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin. Yeah. I okay. have. I've watched most of that. I think I've got a couple of episodes left. Uh, in the last week, and I just love that show. It's fantastic. It's very breezy. That's for sure. You can kind of like move right through it. Thirty. What, like what's the premise? Uh, so Michael Douglas is this acting coach. He he was like a famous actor, but he became an acting coach. Now he's more known for that. He's older. Is you know got some trouble in what in his life or whatever. His best friend is his agent who has trouble in his life. They kind of That's interact the and character. Yeah have hijinks and you know it's really breezy writing like Aaron was saying and it's a lot of fun but also pretty heartfelt okay and 22 minutes a pop so you really can't go wrong with that when it's nighttime and you're trying to wind down that's great Uh, that's a great Netflix show to uh, uh, call uh, the next year I can't even speak right now anyway (laughs) I've uh, I've watched a few things Um, none none on Netflix (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh come on! Don't break this train. Um, I Anna and I saw Bumblebee last night. Um, I'm not going to talk about it too in depth as of yet. I, Are you allowed to? I'm allowed to. Yeah, the, okay. the embargo dropped last night as well. But I well because we're going to do an episode on it, so I'm not going to talk yeah, yeah. about it full. I, I I will just say I'm very curious how the Transformers: The Last Night is going to affect this movie as far as its response from audiences. You mean when they saved King Arthur? <laughs> That's exactly. actually what happened in the last night, listeners. <laughs> but I, as far as how the poor performance of that film, I'm wondering how that if like audiences will feel too burnt out by this, or if this will be something that works for them. Um, I will say that outside of whatever my in honor's response is, the regard elsewhere I know is more positive. Um, so I'll, I'll just I'll just put that out there. Okay. Um, I'll get to other things though. Um, I watched Minding the Gap, which is on Hulu. Um, I don't have Hulu. I had a screener, but it's on Hulu for people that are interested. It is a documentary that is really, really good. Um, it is about three kids. They're all like skate. They're all skateboarders. And the the director, um, I just had this up. Where to go? It's right in front of me. Um, Bing Liu. Um, he's been filming them since they were. They're in like they're in the Rust Belt area. They and he's been filming. He's like been capturing their skate stuff since like they're like young high school. 
and it it, tra- it it goes from that up to like they're like in their mid 20s by this movie like by the time the movie like ends and mm-hmm. it it starts out as just like oh this is just a depiction of like these kids growing up being skateboarders and whatnot but it goes into uh, the director Bing life the and two of the other kids specifically and how things have changed for them and like what kind of pat history they have and like one's dealing with like a parent of his died early on uh, another is dealing with being a father when he's very young and another's dealing with um uh, uh, domestic abuse and hmm. it's it, it's very good it's fascinating to watch and it's really well made I know this movie has like a super high rating and it's getting a lot of like uh, uh, critic groups mentions or what have you. And it's all from, you know, this kid who's, and he's gone on to like, he's been uh, like involved in other big film productions or whatnot, but this is a directorial debut and it's a really strong documentary in a year. What is the, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm saying in a year that's had many great documentaries, this is like, this is near the top of the list for me. Uh, It's, it's, it's very, very good. What is the title? What is that in reference to? I think mining the gap is a skateboarding term, but I don't, I think you can kind of, there's a uh, metaphorical thing you can take away, I guess, as I suppose mm-hmm. if you watch the movie as well. But yeah, it's, it's a, you know, it, it deals with, it's a skateboarding aspect. So. Okay. But yeah. Very good. And then, yeah, for those that have Hulu, that's where you can find it. It's been on there for like a while now, I think. Um, and the last thing I'll mention is uh, Schindler's List. Um, Spielberg uh, re-released. Feel a good movie of the year? <laughs> Spielberg re-released Schindler's List in the theaters uh, this week into like a thousand theaters, um, and it fortunately did only okay. That said, I mean it's over three hours and it's a Holocaust drama, so it's like yeah, I wasn't expecting this already blockbuster to suddenly set the charts on fire. That said, <laughs> I haven't seen Schindler's List in full since high school, and I've never seen it on the big screen. So watching it there in this digitally remastered presentation was quite the experience. And, you know, I just mentioned that it's over three hours. Certainly doesn't feel it. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the Academy Award-winning editing um, does a does a fine job of, like, giving you so much um, and making this a, you know, real powerful feature to watch. Uh, I don't know what else I could expound upon about Schindler's List that hasn't been said many times over already since it's a modern classic, but Liam Neeson is great. Ray Fiennes is great. Ben Kingsley is great. The black and white cinematography is terrific. This is one of Janusz Kaminski's highlights of his career. Um everything about this movie like it's it's a te- it's a technical masterpiece and as far as like the emotional impact there it's very powerful to watch even you know regardless if it's in the theater or not but certainly seeing it in a theater leaves an impact and i you know if it's only going to be out for a couple of weeks and if you haven't seen schindler's list or if it's like been a while not a you know not a bad movie to revisit whatsoever yeah so i really liked your uh your piece on and i thought it was really heartfelt and i thought it was um I really connected with what you were getting at. I could tell it had really meant something to you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I wrote. Yeah. It, I, I, I got out of it, and I was like, I just wanted to write something, so I put something which is on my blog at the Cozy. Um, but yeah. Also, a great score. Oh yeah, the John, the John Williams score with violin solos by it's uh, <clears throat> um, Perlman. Perlman, thank you. I was blanking. It's like Roman. Like yeah, it's just like <laughs> it's yeah. like everything about it. It's like this is so per- It's very good. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that's one where I don't watch Schindler's, like I've watched Munich a bunch because I love Munich. And it's like, that's just as dark as Schindler's List to some degree. But somehow that one, it's more palatable for me to, maybe because it's just like, it's assassins. It's like, quote unquote, cooler. But yeah, it's uh, Schindler's List is certainly, I don't know when I'm going to watch it again, but it's certainly a rewarding experience to watch. Okay. Yeah. Cool. uh, Yeah, that's enough quickies. Trademark. Let's move on now. Let's get to some trailer talk. 
Let's talk about the big new movie trailer of the week, which is, of course, Avengers colon Endgame. Ooh. The, the unveiled title for the fourth Avengers movie, which hits now in April, uh, much like the last one, as opposed to May. Um, so first week, of, or end, last week of April, which once again means that next year's Summer Movie Gamble <laughs> will, will be will be um, recorded a, you know, a week before normal. A week earlier? Yeah, yeah. To, to <laughs> encompass the fact that Avengers arrives a week earlier. But again, we got to give a shout out to to Abe on this one because the I think it might have been the inaugural yes. summer movie gamble. Abe was the only person on the show who correctly predicted that the Avengers would be the number one movie uh, over the Dark Knight. The rest of us were thinking that uh, it was going to be Dark Knight, Dark and uh, Abe was uh, Abe was the man. You're right, Dark Thank Knight you. Rises is my mistake. Yeah. 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 Let's make sure to keep putting that asterisk over where we recorded it after Avengers had already opened at the box office. <laughs> hey, man, you guys had your chance, the same chance. <laughs> You can't really argue with your logic there. <laughs> yeah, you, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm pr- not too sure about your police work there, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about Avengers Endgame. Can I got, hold my gun sideways? <laughs> we got the we got the first. You're like he's on Fargo, you're on Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a good time for everybody. <laughs> yeah, police but, stuff. <laughs> let's talk about this trailer. It's the fourth Avengers movie that picks up where Infinity War left off. Everyone's super happy and dancing around. That's the exact opposite of what's actually happening. Adam, what did you think of this trailer? Oh, you know what? I mean, it's a cryptic trailer. There's not a, You don't actually see a ton. It's more faces and, and whatnot. Um, but I, I can't wait. I mean, I'm at a point where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is my favorite, you know, current, currently operating film franchise. And I just, I can't wait to see what they're going to do. I... I'm really excited by the fact that the, the the deals are coming up for a lot of these original cast members. I like the way that Infinity War dialed it all back at the end. So we're basically going to get another kind of core Avengers movie. And obviously, certain people are going to come back, but not everybody will. And we already know some people aren't coming back for future films. And then it's a question of, well, what's Marvel going to do with their characters? It's just really cool because it's not like... It, in some ways, it feels kind of like a Game of Thrones episode where you know all bets are off and anything could happen. But in some ways, it's it kind of feels more authentic because they've really earned this. You know, you've spent so many years with these characters and you've, you know, just enjoyed so many of these great movie moments with these characters that now, you know, some of them are going to go and there's going to be real ramifications. And I can't wait. Hmm. Abe, how about you? Yeah, I thought it was an all right trailer. I think this, the beginning started out a lot stronger and then as you get into the regular happenings and goings on of of what captain america and blackwood are talking about there's less intrigue there because they're just talking about the events of what happened but what i the shot that i really really like a lot is just thanos hanging he uh, hung up his suit as a scarecrow and he's just like living his life farming and i'm curious to see how the He's going to be affected there, but uh, for the most part, I'm with Adam. I can't wait. I mean, I was uh, on pins and needles. I saw Infinity War three times in the theaters. Um, and to answer one of Adam's questions, I, or I guess ask another question to it, I wonder if they're just going to pull like a Robin Wright Congress type thing where they're just going to CG everybody because they don't actually need the real actors anymore. Uh, but that's probably not going to be the case. I'm going to be happy and also sad to see some of the characters that I've been, you know, watching on the screen for eight to 10 years, hang it up. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but, um, I'm excited for it. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely check out the next trailer and then I'll probably stop. 
I'm uh, I'm certainly intrigued by why Hawkeye blames Asia for probably his missing family. I think. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, he became like a fucking ninja. <laughs> but what I, what I'm, what that that one part shows me is like how much time has passed, and I'm I, I I'm very curious if it's been like years, because uh, that will make me very intrigued by how 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 where these characters are at at this point it, i mean even if it's just weeks or whatever that's still you know that's something but it's like just that image of like hawkeye being like out there in the wild like seemingly not knowing what to do it's like that makes me think that's been a, it's been a minute since this the you know the the decimation happened so i uh that that makes me i'm already looking forward to this but i'm like oh that's that'd be a neat direction if they like if they actually waited a while before they actually really is uh, like a way to deal with what happened uh, that said, I mean, if you're aware that I'm like I I like Avenity War and I'm just, I wasn't the biggest on how they delivered the ending. That said, my main thing about the whole thing has been I'm well, I'm, on, I'm on the same page, same page with you. We but, both said it kind of lacked like some weird oomph. I dug it. I, I don't think no, no, it lacked no, sure. oomph. Yeah. I think it just the I, I don't need to get into Infinity War again. Yeah, what, yeah. what what I'm saying is my the the main comparison I made was that I feel like Infinity War was Kill Bill Volume One, then in Endgame has the potential to be volume two which is more character focused and still delivering on big huge moments that matter and if that's and when you put them together wow exactly and if that's the case it will retroactively make me like infinity war more and also you know i'd probably really like endgame as far as how it goes and even with my issues with how infinity war ends i that does make me acknowledge that disney is willing to go down dark paths um with these with this series so it's like well they can they can still go darker <laughs> with this movie because it's the end game now and yeah like yeah. you're saying adam certain actors are probably not going to keep being in these movies so it's uh yeah they don't have to go dark i mean they, they can don't just have to keep printing checks but... and just you know making zippy little movies and printing money and instead they're like okay let's actually have some stakes to this story let's actually put a bow on part of this you know let's let's actually end something which is yeah. completely the antithesis of everything hollywood's been doing lately so yeah there's uh i mean the the MCU will carry on, but certain characters won't, and I, I'm curious yeah. to see how that plays out. I I like this trailer as far as its lack of action, and it's more like focused on like, hey, this is where we're at right now. Obviously, there will be more marketing that will probably inspire more, you know, signature moments with these certain characters. But for the time being, yeah, I I I like what I'm seeing here. I do think that the Russos. They stepped it up as far as, you know, making it a giant event out of having all these characters cross over. So I look forward to seeing what kind of ambition, what visual ambition they have for this next one. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, But Avengers Endgame opens in theaters April 26th worldwide next year. So, uh, yeah. Mr. Worldwide. (laughs) Let's uh, let's move on. Let's get let's start getting to some of these reviews. Let's get to our first main review for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. People are so easily distracted. So I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them. Because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us. But not us. This will tale to tale. That should have been some of the trailer for The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. This is a new Coen Brothers film. It's an anthology film, a Western anthology, which features six different tales 
starring a variety of people, including Tim Blake Nelson, Liam Neeson, James Franco, Brendan Gleeson, Zoe Kazan, Tyne Daly, Harry Melling, and Tom Waits. Each of these stories deals with a variety of themes involving the West, um, things that feel familiar, things that evoke certain other Westerns of the past, and things that certainly evoke the spirit of the Coen brothers. Let's do, let's just get into it. Adam, where were you at? I, I want to figure, how, how should we talk about this? Should we, let's talk about this as a whole first, and then I yeah, guess okay. we can kind of in, break it out individually. But Adam, what do you think as a whole about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Man, it is, <laughs> it's a really strange animal. Uh, originally, this was supposed to, or it were there were reports that this was going to be a Netflix miniseries, which kind of presented a whole set of you know, possibilities um, that were kind of unique to the Coen brothers to kind of give them a chance to, to go in a different direction as far as how they structure a story. But then it ended up changing. And they said it was always supposed to be this anthology movie, but it was just that Netflix didn't really understand what they were talking about. Um, Given how we talked about Netflix so far, that seems right. That <laughs> <laughs> does seem, seems accurate. But no, it's a really, it's a really strange animal because you've got these six different vignettes that are very different tonally um they 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 all feel um they all feel different uh the production is stellar i mean the movie looks great there's more digital effects in this film than there are in probably any other coen brother movie ever and i'll, I'll also um, note this is their first film that they've shot digitally as well as opposed to on film you got it you got it um there were a couple in particular that, that really 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 stuck with me there was one called meal ticket mm-hmm. um that has uh, liam neeson um, and another gentleman, I forget. Uh, Harry name? Melling. Yeah. Harry Melling, oddly, formerly known as, uh, Dudley Dursley. Yeah. Um, that one really, really stuck with me in the way that a great short story does. Um, it really felt like it had kind of the sense of, of poetry to it that something by Faulkner might. Um, and then also there's another one called The Gal Who Got Rattled. And that one, oh my gosh. I mean, there's just this kind of a, there's a gut punch moment where the person I was watching with, we just kind of looked at each other and just kind of sat there in stunned silence. So anyhow, I mean, it's one of the, this movie is one of those things where you, it's very dark. It goes very dark. And so for me, in some respects, it was a little bit hard to shake. And that movie really just kind of kept coming back into my memory, which I've got to say is kind of a rare thing nowadays for something to keep me thinking about it. Hmm. In the days since. Anyway, I don't want to monopolize the conversation. No, no, uh, no, I'm a please. fan. I enjoyed the movie. I'm interested to watch it again. It, it, like many Coen Brothers movies, it's a film that I think will reward future viewings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Abe, where are you at? As a whole, I uh, I actually really liked it. I think that there's a lot of Coen Brother-esque uh, elements to it, including dark humor, regular humor, really good writing. Um, and also just some really good, um, like metaphorical usage, uh, of writing as well. So with that though, yeah, I think that some are stronger than others, but I was hearing some things from either print media or people that I might know, uh, friends of friends kind of thing where they were saying, you know, it doesn't really work as a whole. It's like, I don't know what you guys are looking up for because, it clearly says that it's just stories about the old West. So it's, it's not as though it has to be a cohesive story. And everyone is kind of aware that 
an anthology doesn't really have to have like a, a the one through line to it. Some of them do, but some of them don't. Can we can we just talk real quick about how like I really like the kind of book structure they used? Oh yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. I thought that was like really neat to like in the like the color plates that they had. Yeah, like, I, I like that too. Like the detail that went to like you first you flaked like the little like um, wax paper over. It's like the, yeah, exactly. Because that actually reminded me of when I saw that I was like oh, I've seen books like that. We used to own books like that mm-hmm. uh, where there was. It was it was more like presidential books, you know, the encyclopedias yeah. of presidents, yeah. where you would flip it and you'd see like the basically the the painting that is in the White House of that president. And I was like, oh wow, I haven't really seen this in a long, long time for some of these books. And I also liked the way that if you're paying attention to it, you can read what happens at the end of the story on the page. So yeah, you get a little bit more information. And stuff. Exactly, it's, it's, it's yeah, a neat, so, it's a neat through line as far as how it's. You know, some like you mentioned, some of these have like narrators or like a main story that's being told or something. This one just is like a book. But like, yep. yeah, I, I, I just wanted to point that because I don't think we're going to talk too much about that. But I like. And there's I like nothing that, to hang um, your hat on. So you, you see this, you know, this line of text, but you don't, you have no idea what to hang your hat on as far as like what it's going to mean. And then when you get to the end of the the piece, you're just, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um. So as a whole, I, I've, I did like it. I like that it was just tales from the West. I think that there was really a great cinematography that's going on through, all throughout. Uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the first uh, of the anthology series, that's a great, that's a high note to, to go on, in on. Um, and I really enjoyed that song at the end there, um, mm-hmm. when uh, Cowboy Trades his uh, spiritual wings, because that kind of came up. <laughs> I know that Buster has been singing throughout. Tim Blake Nelson is great in it as a, a, a as white the, As the songbird, a songbird. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but I like that because the song at the end there kind of came unexpectedly to me, and I thought, this is a really nice tone. I, I listened to that song on repeat for like 50 times. Uh, me too. The day. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I was kind of hoping more of throughout, I guess, the entire movie was more songs. But I guess that's uh, it's not really in, in each one of them, which is totally fine because each one of them has – their own message to tell you. Um, I will say that I liked, uh, whatchamacallit, um, All Gold Canyon. All Gold Canyon, yeah. Because of the its simplicity, but I kind of didn't dig some of the elements of it. And with all that being said, I really liked um, the writing of The Mortal Remains. It wasn't the best executed one. I was really annoyed by some of the characters. But I liked that there's like a little secret going on. Um, and as you clue into it, you're thinking to yourself, this is a really dark story. And it is. <laughs> so um, It's haunting, too, I found. Yeah, it really is. And I really liked just the way that they you could make it a, a stage production. But with all that being said, though... Um, I think that it's fine as a whole. I think that it's completely okay that it's on Netflix. I think that's where most people are going to see it anyway. Um, I think cinematography-wise, yeah, it might have worked on the screen. But at the same time, um, because of its nature, um, and I'm saying that I'm not saying that any of the ones that, that uh, Adam mentioned are bad. I mean, I think that there's really good stuff that's in the Liam Neeson one as well. I mean, all the acting all around is great, but it's just more that... As a whole piece, yes, uh, on Netflix is fine um, the way that it goes. But I think it's another one of those Coen Brothers movies where people might not, like what Adam was saying, they might not enjoy it the first time around, just the same way that the people were really confused about Hail Caesar. But I saw what Hail Caesar was doing, and I see what this one is doing. Again, it's just Tales from the Old West in different ways that you might read them uh, from the pages of a local library or as a, at a school library when you're in elementary school. I will uh... – 
As far as like the kind of repeatability or rewatchability goes, I mean, yeah, that seems to come down a lot when it comes to Coen Brothers films, and for the most part, aside from I guess what maybe Lady Killers and Intolerable Cruelty, any one of them that has had like a mixed response early on seems to have gotten like a reappraisal over time. Like either even Hudsucker Proxy has like a giant set of fans these days compared to when it first came out and it was like a giant bomb and a dud for them. Um, this one, you know, it's a bit different because it's an anthology film. Obviously, it's coming out on Netflix. It's a different kind of area for them. Um, but with that said, I do think it's a, quite a success. Anna and I were able to see this on a big screen, actually. And, yeah, the cinematography of Bruno Dubonel is phenomenal. Like, it has such... Especially because he's essentially making six different movies. And so you have to, like... And, like, distinct films. Like, they don't look like each other. And I love yeah. that that's the deliberate choice that they made, that they wanted to make these specific stories and they didn't want to make them resemble one another. So it means both they... They're... You know, you have to outline different films. Carter Burwell's score, like, he has to do, like, a variety of different things to kind of make each one stand out. And then, yeah, you have a different tone and everything. And like you guys are saying, you know, I, I like the movie overall. I, I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. It was very little chance I wasn't going to like this. And there are some that stick out stronger than others. Um, I I mean, it gets off to quite the bang with The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's, it's <laughs> the... And, with that, what I really enjoy is how it's the most like a Roy Rogers picture as far as its look goes, but in terms of the what takes place in it, it's like the most nihilistic thing that the Coens have ever done in a movie. <laughs> like, which, coming from a, a set of filmmakers that made like, you know, No Country for Old Men and Burn After Reading, it's like this is the darkest places they've gone? <laughs> like this movie? Yeah. So it's, and there's a lot of that throughout that. Like, if there's one thing that certainly stands, it's that the rest of these movies follow suit in someone at least one person dies in every one of these movies in every one of these stories right and it's you know it can get disturbing it, it certainly presents a, a a shocking level of violence at various points um but that said yes the acting is quite strong throughout uh i, I it was neat to like there's some that were like i expect them to deliver uh, all gold canyon is my favorite one at this point i think anna i believe that's your favorite as well anna uh, All Gold Canyon would that be your favorite of the of the shorts? Uh, it's a good one. Okay. I do, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just like. No, it's fine. Yeah, I, I, because initially I was like, well, Buster Scruggs is really strong, but like, I keep coming back to like, Adam, you're talking about how like you're thinking about this still, and it's like I keep thinking about Tom Waits' performance in All Gold Canyon. Very good. Because opposed to the rest of them, he's he's still basically doing a one man show. And Pretty much. It's really neat to see him at his weightsiest doing this, and it's like, he can hold his own. Like, I know he's a fun supporting character in a lot of movies, but it's like, this guy, like, in this little performance he has, it's so memorable, and so, like, there's so, and it's like, the, it's the most beautiful of the shorts as far as the, the, the landscape that they found to, to film all this, like, this this canyon and there's a stream going through it and there's the green and the, the yeah. hills and the animals that they're mostly digital but still look good like it's there's a lot of good stuff there but what i'm saying yeah you can you know you expect tom waits or liam yeah, liam neeson's okay uh but like tim blake nelson like those are guys that have been in these movies that can deliver but like the girl that got the gal who got rattled the bill heck character who plays billy knapp like the, the that guy's great the main cop he's great and like yeah. I'm, i haven't seen him before what? He's an American David Beckham. Oh, I keep getting like cowboy Keanu Reeves vibe from him. That's the look that, that I see. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> but it's like it's like where did this guy come from? He's terrific. He handled like Cohen Brothers dialogue is very specific and he really nails it. Like he does a great job of it. I mean, on on the same wavelength, the kid in Ballad Buster Strikes, that guy's great too. Out of yeah. he has like credits. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I, yeah, there's a there's just a lot here to kind of like go off of as far as what to admire about it. I would say, uh, having watched it twice at this point, yes, I would say the the ones that are I was lesser on. Um, they 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 became stronger um, watching them the second time around. Uh, the Mortal Remains, in particular, I think, is a stronger one the second time I watched it. But yeah, no, there's just a lot to admire about this whole thing, and yeah, it's certainly worth watching. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it's on Netflix, so you can definitely check it out pretty easy. Adam, I want to ask you about Meal Ticket and um, what struck you about it. Meal Ticket. Oh, man. that That's uh, Liam Neeson, right? Yes. Yep, that's a Liam Neeson one, yeah. Uh, for me, there was just a sense of poetry to it. <laughs> um, it's a it's, it's, it's interesting because it's a very quiet movie, despite the fact that they talk a lot. Yeah. Um, it's about a young man with no arms and legs who is sort of the traveling circus act for an impresario named, but that's Liam Neeson. I don't know if he's actually named it. I think he's himself. just called impresario. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. He goes around with this guy, with this guy in the back of a, of a wagon or a cart or, or whatever. They set up shop and then this guy comes out and he, um, uh, he does uh, oratory. He does orations. Mm-hmm. He does Gettysburg Address or Ozymandias or you know any number of things. And part of what got me was just the Coens are just masters at framing and visual storytelling without needing to tell you things. They don't have yeah. to. You don't have to say, okay, well now they're making less money. You just you you see the amount of money they took in at the beginning. You see the receipts start to dwindle. And one thing that really struck me with that one is the fact that the uh, character of Harrison, the the performer, he talks and talks and talks when he's on stage. I don't think he says one word when he's not. And there are occasions in this story where this guy should be talking, Mm -hmm. and yet he's just completely silent. And I thought that was a a really interesting dynamic. I was wondering if maybe he had some sort of disability where he wasn't really able to function aside from the speeches he'd learned, or maybe he was just that dependent on Liam Neeson and, and didn't uh, you know, didn't see any reason to speak. But for me, really, and the, the way that movie ends, like I said, in some ways it almost reminded me a little bit of a Faulkner story called A Rose for Emily, mm-hmm. with the way it, it ends kind of with this unexpected thing that happens that really, really leaves you kind of unsettled and, and thoughtful and, and introspective. I'll, I'll just add that I think, watching it the second time around specifically, Harry Melling gives a really great performance in this movie. Yeah, um, he's great. Because it's like, I think Neeson's a little less, I mean, he doesn't have much to do, but he's Neeson, so it's like he brings a presence. But I think, but and you mentioned, like, he doesn't, outside of the oratory work, he doesn't say anything. There's no, It's all facial expression. And yeah. that I, I noticed that a lot more the second time around, and it very much plays into why that, what makes that story work the way it does. It's not my favorite one, but I do think Harry Melling might be one of, like, the best performances in the film. Yeah, I was going to say. The VFX is amazing because I actually, I didn't recognize him and I actually wanted to know later on, does this guy really not have any arms in line? Okay. Yeah, yeah, there, there are parts where I was like, okay, well, the VFX, I can see where some of it's showing. But I, I agree with you because at first I was like, oh, that'd be, it wouldn't be unlike uh, any film director to be like, hey, I want to go find a performer that uh, doesn't have arms or legs kind of thing. But he's, he's heavier in the Harry Potter films, right? Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> isn't, he, well, isn't he like more stocky? Because he's kind of. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm like Dudley's I, a stocky young man. Because I recognize the yeah. face, but it's like he's you know he doesn't look the same as Dudley Dursley. So I'm like okay. Yeah, he's he's it's it's definitely one of those situations like uh, what's his face? Um, 
Neville, who has yeah, who I mean, has slimmed been, down and got super handsome. I mean, even so, since yeah, this podcast, it's been seven years. So I mean, it's, it's been a, he's, grown, he's grown up, like you <laughs> for know? sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they've all but I will out. say that the first thing that I did notice in that short, or, or in that, I, I like the way Adam called it. It's just its own movie. In that movie, is that uh, the facial expressions? Because there's beautiful facial expressions. Because there's not a whole lot of dialogue outside of the storytelling when they have to be on, you know. And so when they're sitting by the campfire. And you just see uh, Harry Melling look at Liam Neeson, wondering if he's going to feed him, wondering if he's going to help him out with this or that. It is pretty incredible. So I agree with you guys both that this is probably the most like incredible performance of the movie. With that being said, I, I was curious about the theme of it because as he goes along, he seems to mention that Cain and Abel thing much, much stronger. And um, it becomes a little bit more apparent. So I was like, oh, I, I should really like the way that they have played this story so um but i was curious your thoughts because it seemed to be one of your your favorites there um of the bunch so Where are you thanks at, for that what's, what's one of your favorites of this thing i mean obviously ballad of buster scruggs is is hitting there um <laughs> but uh and i think the I way mean, that it, it has bernard came. from the santa claus so i know to... yeah <laughs> and i think this is <laughs> like <French> excellent. <laughs> I, and i think much like uh, like moneyball was jonah hill's like or the sitter was like jonah hill's last like really big movie where he was you know much larger this is, I think, the last time we're going to see David Krumholtz being really big because I know there was like. Is he slimming down? What it wasn't. It was a. It wasn't a matter of gaining weight. It was like he had like a glandular problem, and he had it was like a medical thing. And he had it fixed, and now he's lost like a ton of weight. So he looks. Back, wow. He looks like numbers David Krumholtz again. Numbers David Krumholtz. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, again, the ballad Buster Shrugs, the way that the song comes in at the end there, really knocked me off my rocker because I'm a big fan of of songs and movies like i like musicals but i just like when things kind of catch me off guard and i like good songs um so something like i know that aaron wasn't big on on the weary kind or there's a weary kind yeah um in the chris christopherson semi-autobiographical pick uh of uh, lonely heart but um i'm just a big fan of like when songs can hit you and that one was a good song. I like the way that it was sung. I like the way that it kind of became a duo. Uh, Do I? Did I dislike? I'm try, I have like almost no memory of Lonely Heart. I, I brought up I brought up Lonely Heart one time, and you you skipped over it when we were talking about um, what's the movie with Lady Gaga on the shallows? The Star is Born. The Star is Born. Well, I yes. think it's again because I have no memory of that movie that Jeff Bridges won an Oscar for. So it's like <laughs> so maybe, I, I remember maybe it exists and seeing it. But yeah, maybe I, I maybe you don't have a memory of it. Yeah. So did it win Best Song? I wouldn't be surprised if it did. But I think <laughs> it did. I think Ryan Bingham did win it. Is it called Lonely Heart? Like I'm trying to even remember the movie. It's called The Weary Kind, and it was no, it was co- the movie. Oh, it's it's Crazy Heart. Crazy, crazy Heart. Crazy Heart. That's why I was like, this is throwing me off. Um, but uh, again, Mil- the All Gold Canyon. I really really like that too because I didn't like the prospector at first. And then he's got this scene with the eggs, and he's kind of doing some, like, mental logic and also mental moral repercussions. And I was like, I like this guy. It did win this song, by the way, the Crazy Heart movie. Yeah, yeah I, I think Ron Bingham has been on a singing tour with that song. Um, but uh, All Gold Canyon is definitely, I really loved with it. They chose that specific setting. Um, I don't know where it is either. I don't know if it's if it's real. I'll it try to real. figure the it only, out. The only place that's not real in this movie is The Mortal Remains, which is filmed on a set. That definitely looks like it. Um, But with all that being said, though, all Gold Canyon, what I liked about it is, yeah, Tom Waits kind of just being a one-man show, talking to himself, talking to this thing called uh, Mr. Pocket, Pocket, and the way that he figures it out. I I didn't like the... (laughs) The metaphor of him like literally raving the land kind of thing for for uh, 
his own profit. But I like the performance and I like the way that the that one was shot. And I also like the way that the character kind of has more sides to him. Um, not yeah. just the moral mm-hmm. side, but there's there's like something that happens in the story. And I like the way that uh, the old West comes into play. Because at first I was like, oh, this is a nice, neat story. I'm wondering what's going to happen here. And the old West, sure enough, comes into play of uh, of you know just you're never sure. It's it's the Wild West. So and the one that on I, a Jack London story too. Yeah, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, I did not realize. Yes, this is, yeah, this is the one that's actually adapted from something. Yep. So well, Gal got rattled. Who got rattled is also adapted yeah, from yeah, something. Yeah. Is that right? Okay, because that's the one. That's my least favorite, and that's really? mostly because yeah, I, I I like that it was actually the Oregon Trail, but I kind of just didn't like. Um, uh, Zoe Kazan's character in that—I thought that the character was very, very annoying. And really, yeah, I actually really liked uh, Mr. Arthur getting a stronger second part of the movie, uh, or yeah, second second act, I guess. His climax, uh, the climax of the movie is like. Yeah, but it was very redeeming because I thought this guy's an asshole, and then I was like, no, this guy knows what he's doing, and he's actually a, a solid guy. And I just, I really did not like Alice Long Longabow Longbow Longbow Longbow. So. Everybody else is cool in it. Was the, I thought she was great personally, but that's just me. Was it? Was there like a, a turning point for you, or did you just think that she was annoying the whole way through? Uh, it was actually as uh, as a character, as one of her family members is is kind of done with the movie, mm-hmm. um, and then she becomes very like uh, needy, I suppose. And it seems as though she doesn't really know how to handle her affairs. She, she doesn't, doesn't know how to handle her affairs. No, and I totally get it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not blaming the character <laughs> at all because the character is like, uh, they, she has no people in in Oregon where they're going to go. I, I just I found the character annoying and out of your elements. I mean, it's like she has, she has nothing she can do. Now. I, trust me, I mean, she, her name to... isn't even. I mean, let's be honest. Her name's not, not Donnie, but she is out of her element. <laughs> Again, it just wasn't my favorite because I when I'm when I'm faced with characters like that where they just seemingly can't get a, a handle on what they're doing, and also she's the one that leads to the climax of the movie. Oh, yeah, no, that, at that point, off. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, yeah, <laughs> and they're just laughing at prairie dogs. And I was like, first of all, you didn't like this dog anyway, and here you are laughing at it, and you're gonna get uh, into some serious trouble here. So, I, what the other thing that I like about the 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 picture plates? What are they called in the book? Yeah, the yeah, the like photo plates. Photo plates, yes. Yeah, what I liked about it is that there's a line in each one of them that you're looking out for, and I, I like that part too. But anyhow, that's enough about the girl who got rattled. Let's talk about some of the other ones. Um, how about how about near Algodonis with James Franco and Stephen Root? Stephen Root, fucking great. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't think James Franco did anything wrong. I mean, it's a no, no. no it's a James Franco didn't do anything wrong. But I was just trying to put my finger on who that was. Oh, Stephen Root, of course. <laughs> yeah, at, at first I thought it was like the guy from um, from uh, Neverending Story, the the short gremlin guy who who helps him get through the uh, the passage <laughs> with the with the sphinxes. And I was like, that guy's probably super old now. But I, I didn't know who it was. I, I like that this one because I like this one. I mean, again, I like all of these. To I like the degrees. look. Of this one, I sure. like the look of this one. I like how, yeah, it's like how it opens, especially how it's just like this one man versus this like one tiny bank that's sitting here. But like, I like that it basically is all a matter of getting to the one joke line towards the end. Like that's pretty much like the whole point of this thing. Just just when he's when he's in a, a noose a second time and just like his re- like when the other guy's reacting to it, he's like, oh first time like that's, i love that like that's that's a perfect encapsulation of like the the tone of this story i really love the um uh 
a couple things. I love the image that you see at the beginning, the photo plate of this guy running towards the the, the well, camera with yeah. um, a bunch of pots and pans on strapped all over him, which <laughs> is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks better than the actual time you see it in the the piece, I think. Uh, but one thing I like in this movie, there's a moment when a character goes up to another character and you think something terrible is going to happen, and instead he just goes like. Bleh! <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. Yeah, there's, there's again, there's some really funny humor in here because there's um, an exchange between two guys who are like, can I have your horse? And then he's yeah. like, nope. And he's like, can so I have your horse? Like, nope. It's like, see, little things like that where it just brings a little bit of levity in a dark situation. Um, and I also like James Franco exchange of just like, uh, well, I, I don't think he fought fair. And they're like, noted. <laughs> and at the very end, there's there's kind of a, the very last kind of punch at the end, uh, which I won't spoil. It's great. Yeah. An acceptance that happens. Is that what you're thinking of? Uh, it's kind of like the last thing he sees, basically. The last thing he sees and the last thing he says. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I like that too. Great. Um, I was going to say that uh, I'm just going to categorize this. What do you guys have a favorite line or like a favorite exchange in the, in the entire anthology? I mean, I do like first time a lot. I think that's pretty great. <laughs> that's kind of just came out of there. I was like, "Is this guy immortal?" <laughs> the um, there's a number of things that Tim Blake Nelson says, but I do think the um, the way he when he, the first bar that he enters yes. after after he dusts himself off <laughs> when he hits himself and then he you see his kind there's of like, silhouette. Like, yeah, yeah that's but great. like there the way he like describes the person that's giving him trouble. Um, and like, and he caps it off of like, and if you don't mind me describing your friends or whatever, it's like you can find a better line of clients. Like, just like the like the whole like little monologue he gives to explain. <laughs> the other guy. When he yeah. goes, uh, yeah. I'm not a misanthrope. I don't hate my fellow man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you have a, a there's something change there, Adam? There's something yeah. eerie also about when um, the Englishman and the mortal remains when he says the driver won't stop. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, yeah. I, 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 I want to get to that in a second here. Okay, yeah, um, we'll talk all about but, that one a little bit. Yeah, later. but Adam, did you have like a great exchange or a line that you liked a lot? Um, I love first time. I think that's great. There's uh, yeah. some moments where Buster Scruggs proves himself to be a bit of a marksman uh, <laughs> to really uh, to hilarious effect. You just kind of sit there cringing in this really kind of funny way. Yeah. Um, I really love the the dialogue between. Uh, Zoe Kazan and and, and uh, is it Bill Heck? Is that his name? Yes, that's the actor's name. Yeah, I thought like, their dialogue like, was just great. It's like a great some some of the most Coheny dialogue is when Alice tells her him and uh, Mr. Arthur the price that the other one's like asking for, and he says like that's yeah. a heavy price. And then Mr. Yeah, Mr. Arthur, Mr. Arthur keeps saying that's steep price as he keeps eating. Like it's just that's a very like Coheny way of like describing things. Yeah. Obviously, every time Tom Waits says Mr. Pocket is one of my favorite things Mr. ever. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, there's a great moment where um, Brendan Gleeson sings a song mm-hmm. that I thought that was, was That was actually a really good song. Let's talk about very... The Mortal Remains a bit more then, because this is the yeah, closure can I, can of the I piece. Just briefly mention my favorite line. Uh, super briefly, it's when the kid comes into town uh, and he says, Buster Scruggs. And uh, Tim Blake Nelson says, the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Tim Blake Nelson is such a character that he's like, <laughs> he's always got something witty to say, and that's a, it just made me laugh. But there's a lot of great lines. But yes, Mortal Remains. I I want to preface this by saying that I didn't like it as much, and then as it kept going, I was thinking to myself, I know where the, I know what this is now, and I like the play that it's doing. 
And I thought that it was actually really, really clever, strong writing. Yeah, I, I think I like it in premise more than execution. I mm-hmm. I think it's the... I mean, there's some shot. I think, toward, especially once they get off the carriage, I think it becomes more visually interesting. But I do think it feels like the least like pronounced as far. I mean, obviously, it's a different sort of look than the other ones. It still feels separate as far as you know, as far as they all look like individual pieces. But it it did feel like the most like limited as far as like what we're trying to show here. But again, it is it's also constructed as like a stage play practically. So it's like I get right. it. But like, yeah, and that's it's maybe the one that again I think I said this it's the one that benefited the most from rewatching it just because I can kind of get on board with it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I, I do think it's a nice closer. I do, I think it, it does a great job of wrapping up the, the film as far as how it, what it's dealing with, I would say. Yeah, it, it's really, I'm with you guys in that it wasn't my favorite when I was watching it, because it, it, it feels very different than, from the rest of them, and you're kind of watching it and not sure what to make of it, and you're kind of, I was trying to figure out, you know, okay, what kind of, you know, what metaphorical level are we playing on here? What are we trying to say? What are we trying to do? And then it gets to the very end, and it's just it's haunting. I mean, they, yeah. they get off the they get off the coach, and then they go into a, a building. And that building, there's a shot when the door opens, and you see inside. It reminded me a lot of Barton Fink, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of the hotel in Barton Fink and whatnot, and it just you see that. And it, you know, the Coen Brothers are one of the few filmmakers that I have experienced where if I watch one of their movies and I don't really really dig it my first inclination isn't to think that the film is flawed, but so much that my understanding might not be there. Interesting. And th- that's not something I say about a lot of mo- filmmakers, but there's a bunch of their more recent films where it's, I don't necessarily connect with it the first time, but I want to watch them again because I feel like there's something there I might've missed. And cause I really think they, they have the souls of great, almost like great novelists or great writers, as opposed to ju- not, not to say that, you, you know, someone who's just a great filmmaker is any less than anybody, anybody else. But for me, they're kind of cut from this different cloth film filmmaking wise, and they're they're kind of they're going in a different direction, and their goals are different. And so when I watch something, you know, you kind of need to see it more than once just to see, you know, it more clearly over time. I, I right? think I think it's they they operate on a level of honestly master filmmakers where there's no mis- there's no you know, freewheeling when it comes to what they're doing. They know they know precisely no. what they're doing, and regardless of how much they feel they need to explain these things, there's no choices that are made because it seems like a good idea. They're very much part of the whole that they're trying to like, yeah. tell you. I, I also want to add to that. I mean, in terms of master filmmaking, sure, yes, uh, obviously. But I think the thing that I really appreciate about it is how clever and how much they're willing to play with something. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And with confidence, you know what I mean? And by that, I mean that... Sure, filmmakers are confident in whatever they they are when they're making this movie, but these guys, they're not on a level of cocky. It's more of just like, hey, I really want to try this out, and I want to execute it. So you will have like a movie like Burn After Reading, or you will have a movie like Hell Caesar, or you will have a movie like um, uh, The Man Who Wasn't There. Did they write that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, though, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's stuff like that where it's like, uh, yeah, let me try some of this stuff out, but... For the I mean, mortal remains. I think I just to, to reflect on that, but I think that's what separates someone like the co like as far as master filmmakers. Because I think that's what separates them and Scorsese or Spielberg, like just guys that are they they still t- they take ch- ambitious choices still. Like right. it's not like they're not resting on their laurels in the way that random example. Uh, what's his name that did a uh, King Speech Hooper? 
Um, you know, he, Hooper shouldn't have laurels to rest on. He shouldn't, but that's what it feels like as far as his, the films that have come out since, been, where yeah. he's just doing the same thing that got him that Oscar the first time. As far Close as like, up shots at, of people talking. Look at my lenses and stuff. It's very, I'm going to tilt the camera 45 degrees does, for it, no reason. It's not like there's like sudden <laughs> ambition coming out, where meanwhile Scorsese is like, I'm going to follow up my 3D family adventure with a three-hour Japanese religious drama. Like it's, I was going to say, that's exactly, the, that's exactly the example I was going to go to, which like, is like, hey, you know, you have this movie like you have his 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 uh scorsese you have his like uh gangster movies and then you have yeah something like the wolf of wall street and then you have this three-hour religious think piece that nobody really saw but it was actually it's really really like in <laughs> like it, it's something that he's wanted to do because he's very uh into that stuff and it's got the scorsese-esque type things minus like the music montages of people being beaten in um in convenience stores but there's actually like three moments in that movie where I was kind of taken aback by just what I was watching on the screen here, and I was kind of touched by it, even though I am not uh, of that religious persuasion myself. But um, to bring it back to The Mortal Remains, what I liked about it is that, yeah, the writing is great, but there's there's moments of, is this what I'm thinking about it? And then is it not what I'm thinking about? And then they finally get to like Fort Morgan, and I was like, now I'm not sure what to think, uh, because yeah. they actually arrive at a destination, and I was like, Mm, interesting um but like what you guys were mentioning there with the opening of the door to get into the uh the hotel i was like this is a really neat metaphor <laughs> so especially the way that the staircase is is uh the way that it's leading and and what's at the end of that mm. staircase i was oh this is very interesting and i actually just like the way that uh um the french guy decides to just it, it's like a feeling of, of i guess acceptance um and he's just he's cool with it uh so yeah it is a very interesting way to end the 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 anthology series and any chance to see tyne daily <laughs> come on spider-man homecoming tyne daily that's right <laughs> that's right cagney herself yeah she was she also uh i can't remember but anyway that trapper guy she's not in great. many movies so it was just funny to point yeah, out she, she's in a lot of like tv more than movies <laughs> yeah. right yeah. And then uh, I, I did just really want to echo, and I know that we've been talking about you know this anthology series for the entire thing, but um, your point, uh, Adam, about uh, the song from Brendan Gleeson, you know, I was I was like, oh, this is a lot of meaning, but also it's very beautiful. And uh, I liked it a lot. And it, it, it did chill me, though. That story chilled me. What's the take of, on uh, another song called Streets of Laredo? Hmm which I believe was recorded by Johnny Cash, um, among others, if I'm not mistaken. But ironically, that the song that uh, he sings is actually, um, it's about a, a man who gets, uh, I think, syphilis hmm. from a chick, which is why he's talking about the pills of white mercury and how she's undone me and all that there, which is actually a really interesting the, okay, no, Streets of Laredo was recorded by Marty Robbins, so not Johnny Cash. Apparently, I don't know what I'm talking about. At least you had the uh, at least you had the right name. Yeah. Well. Oh, wait. 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 No. Oh, Holding. Yes. Johnny Cash. Thank you very much, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Go. I'll be here all week. Try the veal. <laughs> all right. I think we've talked plenty about Buster Scruggs to the point of I don't know if we have time to do much more. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be like it might be like super quick on maybe a, yeah, a couple other like, things. So, but... but okay. For the time being, I think I mean given that it's a Netflix movie and it's very limited release, I would say I think we're all probably saying watch this movie, right? Like yeah, you're you're, and if you don't like it, one of them, you can just stop it and come back to it later. And and, and if you like this experience of watching an anthology movie, 
go to a film festival and watch a short film program because it's very much the same kind of thing. And if you like that kind of interesting experience and stories constantly changing and things feeling and looking different, try that out. You'll probably like it. Yeah, I have a, I have a lovely girlfriend who is responsible for programming a number of really great shorts programs. I mean, they certainly does give you that experience if you have a, you know, a good programmer like handling things to make for a solid viewing experience. I guess Joel and Ethan are okay. Yeah, they, they do fine. <laughs> so, um, okay, let's... Um, I guess we'll do these rather quickly, because I know, Abe, you saw Mowgli, um, which I also yeah. saw. Sorry, Mowgli, colon, Legend of the Jungle. Thank um, you. And then, Adam, you saw Private Life uh, yes, with Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. So let's talk. Let's go through these quickly before we start moving on. So let's talk about Mowgli first. Mowgli, this is the Andy Serkis-directed Jungle Book adaptation. It features a number of people, including uh, the Mowgli's played by Rohan Chand, um, and then you have Christian Bale as Bagheera, Benedict Cumber, Benedict Timothy Carlton Cumberbatch as Shere Khan, Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. as Ka, Andy Serkis as Baloo, uh, Matthew Reese is in here as a hunter. So yeah, you got a lot of people. It's similar as far as you know, big digital animals that talk, but they'll do a lot of location shooting as opposed to the Jungle Book film, which was mm-hmm. entirely CG, which I still think is quite impressive. Uh, yes. But if that's it, what do you think of Mowgli? Uh, I I think it's okay. I, I'm not really a huge fan of it, and I was I didn't hate it because I think that there's it's a different take on the story altogether because uh, it's not all different, but they, at least they explore the man village a little bit more, and they kind of go with you on on Mowgli going through his um, entering civilization, so to speak, and still being this uh, this feral character. But with all that being said, though, Mowgli seems to get himself in a lot of trouble, and he's a jerk, and he uh, he's not very nice, and he's not very you can't, I can't really empathize with him because he's he's unwilling to understand what the like he's he, yeah he's a child but at the same time like they make him out to be the best dude in the entire jungle by the end of the movie he becomes like so the I chosen ha- one essentially yeah so I have to basically look at him as an adult and as an adult type character he's a jerk and he is really mean to this uh, albino wolf and he's also really mean to the people that help him. And he's also really mean to all the people that are trying to look out for him. So he's unsympathetic. And also all the other jungle animals, I can see why maybe they needed like another passive rendering. But with all that being said, though, the voice acting is fine. I'm just confused by some of the stuff like Ka seems to like know everything about the jungle. And she seems to help and also hurt Mowgli. And Shere Khan is just like this, you know, I don't know. He's he's like a reckless killing machine. So while there's hey, different Shere takes Khan, on it. I mean, of the, of the problems I have, I think Shere Khan's pretty consistent throughout the movie. Sure, yeah. I, I think that while I have problems with it, um, they kind of just more arise from questions of like, oh, that's weird that a, a black panther and a, a black bear would be a part of like a, a, a wolf tribe. Um, seems like they'd be independent, kind of like the way that the Disney one made it, or, or I guess both the Disney ones made it. And I'm fine with no singing. I did like the exploration of the village, and I did like Matthew Reese's character up to a point. Um, but you know, where, where he t- talks about how great he is as a hunter, and then we never see any proof of that whatsoever. <laughs> well, I like that part because it's like just boastful white guyness, right? Yes. Sorry, Adam. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Because like he gets drunk, he's like, I've never missed a target in my life, and you've come to realize like he like he's not a really good hunter. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I didn't he's, like. He's Mowgli. the carpetbagger of India, apparently. That's what he is. <laughs> well, I like that it's like, oh, white savior is not the white savior kind of thing, which is great, and that's that's taking it like that's on a facetious level. But uh, you know, it, it's overall Mowgli is an unsympathetic character, even though he comes back and tries to do good things. Um, 
I can see why maybe they wanted to distribute this on a smaller scale, and I can see why people didn't had mixed feelings on it. Well, I think I, the issue is quite clear. It's we made a billion dollar grossing Jungle Book movie. What are we going to do with this Warner Brothers thing that's you know telling a similar, or at least in the way it's going to be marketed, it's not going to be like audiences need to see this. They just saw this. Like, what are they going to get out of this one in the midst of a crowded movie season? Because it was supposed to come out in October. It's like this is supposed to compete with like First Man, Stars Born, Venom, like all these other movies. It's like, and my and the other part of it, looking at it now, now that Anna and I we watched it on Friday, now that we've seen it, my question I kept having is, who is this supposed to be for? Because it's, it's, it's a hard PG-13, like hard, because Mowgli gets beat up in this movie a lot, a lot of and blood. it's bloody, and animals die and whatnot, but it's like, it's still a movie about talking animals. And so it's like, what what audience is supposed to, like, from a theatrical standpoint, at what point are they like, this is going to, you know, do huge for us, because why? Like, what, what I totally like bridging this gap between, like, the kids are going to love this because of the gore? The adults are going to love this because of talking animals? Like, I don't know, <laughs> like, where that separation yeah. is. You talk about the voice acting, I think it's fine. Like, my big, I mean, besides Benedict Cumberbatch and, I guess, Kate Blanchett, because they're, you know, distinctly different, everyone else just said, it's, this is like the Alien 3 of Jungle Book movies, where everyone's I just... Like, I like Christian Bale's big Everyone's hair. just, everyone's just very British. Like, everyone has the same, like, gruff British accent. You have Peter Mullen, yeah. Christian Bale, Andy Serkis... All doing basically Academy the same. Award winner Naomi or nominee Naomi Harris. Uh, everyone doing basically the same accent, where it's like, "Oh, I'm in the jungle now, and this is crazy." Like that's what it feels like throughout the yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, this has got to be the first. I haven't seen the film, but isn't this the first time that people have done predominantly British accents that are not proper for the setting or the place? They've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Mary Poppins was know, very, I, very accurate. I know what you're saying, but I, what I, was, I, I what the different, what stands out is that everyone just sounds very similar sure. here. It's the, it's yeah. not, a, it's not a matter of yes. I get what you're saying, like regal English accents and like Roman films or something like that. But it's like in here, yeah, it's like yeah, Christian Bale's fine, but it's like he sounds just like Peter Mullen does or like Andy Serkis does at various points. Where it's like, why cat? I mean, besides the name recognition. You know the draw, the the huge A list draw that Peter Mullen is. Why, like, why have this big cast if you're not gonna you like mean. make them sound all that distinct from each other? Well, the thing is, like, they also don't really have great parts in the movie either. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're very like here and there. Um, yeah, and it's very, and I, it's a little, it's especially in the middle, it's kind of messy how it's doing. Yeah, I will I say, watching this, it's certainly like you're talking about Mowgli being like a jerk, and Anna certainly feels the same way. She was not happy with directions that things went. Um, if you talk about that albino wolf, like things that happen in this movie are like uh-huh. they're very sad, but they're also like they're a direct consequence of a character that we're supposed to be behind. So exactly, it's, like, it's not like I don't know what I'm supposed to, like at the end of this thing. I'm like, are we? I mean, is the legend continue supposed to happen? Because I don't necessarily want to see that legend. I'm getting I... some similarities to Solo actually, because you guys are like this guy's the best hunter <laughs> ever, but we never see him do anything, and then it's like, yeah, I'm you know, I had five seconds of flight experience and now i'm the gonna do the, He's the best run. pilot captain in the galaxy well it yeah. was weird when like they're like bagheera's trying to name mowgli he's like oh you're all alone and they're like oh mowgli solo and then that, that's how they went about that moment you know i, I want to touch up on a point that aaron you brought up earlier because i thought the same thing I, it was along the lines of the same thing you were like hey who is this for and my question was at the end of the movie what was the moral of this story like there's it's not as though like hey you know if you have a big heart you're gonna be fine or hey like all you need is like the the love and companionship of your family. I don't know what it was. No, it, well, it follows the like the the palette of like modern blockbusters as far as like we'll make it dark and gritty and give you a hero's journey. 
and it's like that's what it is but it doesn't apply to everything or and certainly when you're not in you know kind of it's, it's ambitious to a point i suppose but it's like andy circus you know we like andy circus around here but at the same time it's like this is not the movie where i'm like this is the the true you know this is the the next coming right here of filmmaking is like it's right. it's fine and good for him from putting in a project together but it's like i look forward to seeing what he does next if it can be out of this territory into something more meaningful or what right now you. stick stick with mocap you're you're very good at it. i mean you did like second direct unit work with peter jackson <laughs> yeah. would have you like i, mean, I was being i'm joking i know you yeah but yeah so mowgli i think we're both like yeah it's you know whatever yeah fuck that kid <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna fucking say it. <laughs> Anna's throwing a thumbs down at me because she was not a fan. Um, no, no, yeah, it. I, that's where I was like, you know, it, I can see where it's fine on Netflix. So yeah, if you have time on Netflix, sure, check it out. But it's not gonna hurt you because you've already paid for the subscription. It so it's not like, like two hours and twenty minutes or something. Like it's only like an hour and forty minutes. <laughs> like it's like, all right. is that right? Because it felt kind of long. <laughs> oh, it fe- oh, it feel, but it felt long, and then it felt like it just bro- like once you got to the the man village, I was like, oh, this movie's ending. Like they started getting to like the whole big fights and I'm like, oh, we're done. Like we're that's it. Okay. At, at one point, I was looking at uh, my watch and I was like, oh, they're gonna have this like giant wolf race. And I was like, this must be the middle of the movie. It's not. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's Mowgli. Let's move on to our next review and then we'll kind of move on to other things from there. But it's uh, this is Adam. You have seen this. It's Private Life. This yeah. Is, this is the new film from Tamara Jenkins or Tamara Jenkins, um, starring Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn as a middle-aged couple who are trying to have a child by any means possible um and i'll just leave it there adam what'd you what'd you think of this film yeah it was really cool um i liked i liked the film a lot i don't think i've uh, i I guess i shouldn't say i liked it a lot i I liked it i thought it was really solid put it that way Mm -hmm. um i don't think i've ever seen one of tamara jenkins films before unless i'm not thinking of something she has the slums of beverly hills um and the savages with uh philip timor hoffman and uh, and laura linney i like savages really good that's a really good movie no, I like Savages. I think I like Savages more than this one. But mm-hmm. what I liked about this one in particular is um, the storytelling has a lot of – there are some twists and turns and things that happen that you don't expect, and they have to kind of go in some – you know they have to go in some kind of heavy directions at certain points, but they don't do it in the way that you kind of think they will. They kind of go away from some of the cliches that you are used to seeing in this kind of film. Um, I liked the way that it really – delved into what this middle-aged couple that wanted to have a child and couldn't, what their life was like. Um, I've, you know, have, have had a lot of people in my life that have struggled with fertility and whatnot. And I think sometimes amidst all of the millions of pictures of kids on Facebook, sometimes those people's stories kind of can feel forgotten and they feel kind of left out. And it was just really interesting to see this couple trying so hard to figure out, you know, what their next step is forward. And then, what they end up doing to try to mitigate that and then how that progresses. And anyway, performances are good. The direction's good. Um, it's funny. Uh, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. I don't, cool. Honestly, I don't have much to add. I just agree with everything you're saying. I do think it, it's a well-acted movie. It shows a, a desperateness um, that you can't, you can't quite like, you can make that into a, a more dramatic territory, but it's, it does a good job of kind of bringing some lightness to it, despite, you know, the things that we're dealing with. And, um, I mean, it's once it's nice to see Giamatti in a film. Again. It feels like it's been a while since I've seen Giamatti in like a big substantial role, but he's quite good here. He was the Rhino. Come on. <laughs> yeah, um, I actually, I, I met him at Sundance once. He's a yeah, he's he's cool. T- taller than you expected? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I know, cause you're a tall guy. 
<laughs> Not at all. He's uh, he's 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 rather rather diminutive. I got it. But, yeah, but uh, no, it's a good movie. I mean, it's, it's definitely something if, you, if you're looking for something to watch, you know, you could do a. I feel bad. I feel like I'm damning it with faint praise to say you could do a lot worse. Um, one thing I will say though, it ends really well. The last scene and the, the last shot in particular, there's just a really great quality to to that choice and the way it kind of echoes some things from earlier in the film. So really, really nice. Big thumbs up on that part. Mm. Well, yeah, I, we spent so much time talking about we spent we spent so much time talking about Buster Scruggs. It's like I don't want to go too far into things. So yeah, I, just wanted, sure. yeah, yeah. I would just agree with Adam that yeah, it's it's a, it's worth watching. It's a, it's well. Well, well let me ask you guys this as a closing question: Should it? Would you have watched it outside of Netflix? I would say this is a if we're in a different age, like back in the '90s or early 2000s, where just more people were going to the movies and studios could you know rely on just basic comedy dramas as opposed to things with IP. This mm-hmm. fits right alongside any other number of like studio releases with with you know solid solid character actors that make a there good, you go. make a good comedy drama. I, didn't this play this played Sundance, right? I believe it did. Yes, this is the perfect Sundance premiere movie. Oh, there you go. It totally fits in that festival. There you go. All right. Well, with all that said, let's um, let's move on. Let's get to actually what uh, what did, what what time is it? In? I think it's time for a song when a cowboy uh, trades his first for wings. Yippee ki yay when the roundup ends. Yippee ki yay and the campfire dims. Yippee ki yay. He's something and he sings when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings. I was going so good, and then I was like, I, I something, like that something, you guys, something. <laughs> I like how you guys both duetted that, because that sounded like Tim Blake Nelson playing that little harp, and uh, and you're you're the kid singing the song as you're running out of town. Well, also, shout out to Water. Great song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have a game for you guys this week. Hit it! It is called Just Generally Funny Looking. A Coen Brothers characters game. So uh, okay. I'm going to des- I'm going to describe characters from different Coen Brothers films. If you can identify the name or the actor involved, um, you know, say your name and the answer. Make sense? Okay. Oh yeah, let's do this. Okay. Here's the first one. Just generally funny looking, and perhaps not the best <clears throat> under pressure. Uh, Abe. Yeah. Uh, I want to say that it is. Um... Tim Robbins in the Hudsucker Proxy. That's not at all the answer, no. Okay. <laughs> not the best under pressure? Hmm. I feel like saying just generally funny looking made this the easiest possible question, but yeah, okay, here we are. Just generally funny looking. Uh, Abe. Yeah? Steve Buscemi. In? In uh, Fargo. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Good job. I have no idea what I'm just naming character actors. <laughs> I mean, that's the way they describe him in the movie. Just generally funny looking. <laughs> okay, here's the next one. His instincts may stretch ideas on the law, but he just wants to be a good husband and father. Um, Abe. Abe? Um, the Zodiac Killer guy. I forget his name. Fargo. <laughs> Steal Adam. Oh, gosh. I feel like I'm really... What is that guy's name? Misrepresenting here. I mean, it's wrong, so no. <laughs> oh, bummer. All right. Can I have the quote again? His instincts may stretch the ideas on the law, but he just wants to be a good husband and father. Now I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm stumped. It's H.I. Uh, McDonough from Raising Arizona. Damn it! All right. I I'm not saying get that too. immediately, Abe. And he okay. is funny looking. Here's the next one. Great with a lasso, not so good with accents. 
Oh, 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 shoot. Buster Scruggs? No. When does he Damn, use a lasso? This is game. When does he use an asso? Lasso. Uh, True Grit. Incorrect. Uh, nah, crap. It's Hobie Doyle from Hail Caesar. Damn it! That whole signature scene involving his accent in that movie. But... Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah, and he was. Yeah, yeah. What's his face? What is that actor's name? Al- uh, Aiden... Solo yeah, yeah. himself. Solo. Solo himself. Yeah, he was great in that movie. Right. Mulgy Solo. I'm so far. I'm winning this game. Yep. Yeah, shut Next up. one. His eccentric neuroses are only matched by his eccentric hairstyle. Huh. Eccentric hairstyles. Think of mm. hair. I know. I'm thinking of uh, a black and white movie. Man, someone is picking some obscure quotes. These aren't quotes. I'm just describing these characters. Describing? Uh, Abe. Yep. Fink. Barton Fink is the correct answer. There you go. Oh, wait. So this isn't. these aren't lines of dialogue? No, I just said I'm describing the characters. Oh, my mistake. I had thought these were lines of dialogue no, that described no, no, a character. No, 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 no. Oh. I'm just describing the characters. That's oh, my bad. Crap. Well, now, now he's totally going to come back and win. Watch, watch him get these next, like, seven. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, speaking of hair, this assassin likes to keep change on him. Um, Adam. Adam. Peter Stormare Fargo. Incorrect. Abe. Abe. Anton Chigurh. No Anton Chigurh is the correct answer. Okay. You like to keep change on him. It's your lucky quarter. <laughs> Here's the next one. In need of certain parts, he can obtain them. In need, need of someone to call a foul, he'll do it. Roll on the Sabbath? No way. Adam. Yep. Uh, it's Walter from Big Lebowski. There you go. You're on the board. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel so happy. Okay. Here's the next one. He's particular about his hair care brands. He thinks Adam. he's very... what? Yep. George Clooney or Brother Where Art Thou? There you go. That's oh, great. wow. <laughs> Here's the next one. Fitness is his game as he rides bikes plenty. Adam. Yeah. Brad Pitt burn after reading. <laughs> See, now that you've given Adam the actual like way to do the game, he's going to railroad me. Here's the next one. <laughs> he's looking for answers because being devout doesn't seem to be good enough for this professor. Adam. Adam. Uh, uh, the main character from Serious Man, uh, Michael Stuhlberg. That is correct. Damn, sir. Is that the lead? That is the lead, yes. That's four. Four, four three, right? Um, That's four in a row. Yeah, yeah, Abe has three. Okay. Here's the next one. He's a by-the-book lawman that doesn't know how to doesn't know how foolish he sounds, even for a marshal. Uh, Abe. Adam. Abe. Abe. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, no for old men. Incorrect. Adam. Yep. Ma- Matt Damon, True Grit. That is correct. Wait, what was it? What was the quote? He's a by-the-book lawman that quote. doesn't know doesn't know how yeah. foolish he sounds. Yeah, that's true. Tommy right. Jones never sounds foolish in that movie. No. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, it, and also I agree, it's not a quote. But none of them are quotes. There's no agreement yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, that's yeah, that's know, never been I a know, thing. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> don't I know. Do, don't pull an Adam, Abe. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Two I more. I want to say that I said I said I, I was railroaded by Adam. I mean steamrolled because railroaded means something completely different. I'm just anyway. happy to be playing. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're steamrolling me. Two more. <laughs> This shift, this shifty gangster tries to play too many sides, but pleading for his life is his specialty. Adam. Adam. Uh, it's, uh, Miller's Crossing. Uh, John Turturro. Correct. Bernie Bombom. Bernie Bombom. Here's the last one. He's got a real talent. Hey. <laughs> uh, Buster Scruggs. Incorrect. <laughs> He's got a real. I love ta- those three guesses. He's got a real talent, but it's a shame some don't see much money in it. 
Also, don't trust him with cats. Adam. Adam. Uh, it's Lewin Davis. Lewin Davis is the correct answer. I mean, I got that when you didn't mention the cats part. <laughs> you didn't say anything. <laughs> no, no, I know, but Adam already uh, called it by then. I was like, like oh, you oh, had I me. See. You had me until the description. <laughs> should have, uh, should have uh, waited for the whole clue to be said. Well, Adam, you had a you had a late breaking lead there at the end, and you won this game. Woo! Congratulations. So good job. Hooray! All right. Let's uh, let's move on now. That was enough feedback, or that was that, that was the games. Let's move that on down now. Feed. Let's move uh, on down now. Feedback. 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 This is where we go over some of the questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/outnowpodcast, where we asked a number of questions to the listeners and they gave us answers. We got a lot of feedback this week, so let's do it. First question here, Adam. Feel free to jump in when you want to as well. Uh, first question we have here: What are some of your favorite anthology films or films with multiple storylines that aren't necessarily connected? Philip writes quite on, and Kurosawa's Dreams. Todd writes Sin City, Night on Earth, and Kentucky Fried Movie. Justin has Four Rooms. Jim Dietz from the show has Creep Show and Night on Earth. Rachel has Fantasia, of course. And Chris has Have to Agree with Mr. Dietz. Creep Show is great. And also throwing in Holy Motors. Okay. Oh, I love Holy Motors. Is that the one with like, that, that little uh, leprechaun-looking dude? <laughs> I, yes, I suppose. Uh, among way, other things. <laughs> that is a way to describe it, sure. Yeah. What's the one with, the, with just the guy sitting in the car? Uh... Uh, Robert Pattinson sitting in the car. Cosmopolis. Cosmopolis. Okay. Sometimes I get those uh, confused. All right. Let's jump through this. Uh, what are your favorite dark moments in Coen Brothers movies? Jim D's friend of the show has the entirety of Blood Simple. Alan from the show has Burn After Reading's Big Kill Moment. Donnie's uh, Scattering in Big Lebowski. Philip has Emily Jones's Dialogue in No Country for Old Men. Scott has John Goodman's Fire Rage and Barton Fink. Uh, Todd has The Fire and Barton Fink. And lastly, Chris has just all about uh, just about all of No Country for Old Men and the woodchipper scene in Fargo. I think the woodchipper would be my pick. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> I really like the moment in uh, towards uh, towards the end of No Country for Old Men when Anton Sugar wipes, wipes his boots off after leaving a house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I I guess really, that's just powerful. In general. Yeah. <laughs> Next question we have is, what are your favorite funny moments from Coen Brothers films? Philip has Holly Hunter's I Love Him So Much line in Racing Arizona. <laughs> Marcus writes, the uncertainty principle, it proves we can't ever really know what's going on, so it shouldn't bother you, not being able to figure anything out, although you will be responsible for this on the midterm. From Serious Man. Uh, Chris writes, the horny toad in Old Brother Art Thou. Oh, I love the horny toad. (laughs) Uh, Mike has uh, Walter throwing out the ringer and Big Lebowski is up there. Uh, Scott writes, this aggression will not stand, man, from Lebowski. And Marge's uh, interrogation of the women in Fargo. The you betcha stuff. Betcha. Uh, David has uh, get your damn hands off my wife from uh, Racing Arizona. And Alan has Donnie. He writes the exact same things he had in his dark moments. Donnie scattering the big kill in, in uh, Burn After Reading. And also the Huggies chase scene in Raising Arizona. It's good chase scene. My favorite um, is the, uh, the, the back and forth with uh, Marge Gunderson and her uh, deputy. Mm-hmm. When they get there to the, they get to the, the scene of the crime, and yeah, are you okay there, Margie? Oh, I just think I'm gonna barf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, that's that's my fate. I love that. And what then you it? go from that to, you know, I'm not too sure about your police work there, Lou. I think we're looking for a car with the interface. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. There's yeah. um, there's a moment in Lebowski after uh, I think after the dude's car has been like hammered because Walter was going after the wrong car. Uh, where previously they had discussed going to the In-N-Out Burger, 
And so when they're driving back after the windshield's been like blasted out, you just see like Donnie like raise the burger like as if they they had just came from it. Like after all that, they still went to In and Out. That just kills me. <laughs> it happens. Uh, next question: What are what was the last film you saw that you felt uh, was full of surprises? Justin has from Dustel Don. Mike has The Mist. Philip has Happy as Lazaro. Besides Buster Scruggs, my friend of Jim Dietz says Mandy, and lastly Chris has probably Buster Scruggs or Hereditary. Ballad of Buster Scruggs for me. Okay. All right. Uh, question here: Favorite films from directors better known as actors. Uh, Dan has Night of the Hunter for me, as well as Get Out and Wet Hot American Summer. Chris has Chef and Easy Rider. Alan has Tropic Thunder and That Thing You Do. Philip has Letters from Iwo Jima and Gone Baby Gone. Justin has The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Todd has Night of the Hunter, Easy Rider, and Singing in the Rain, which was co-directed by Gene Kelly. And Tyler has Tyler Smith, friend of the show, has uh, Night of the Hunter. There you go. Sylvester Stallone for Rocky? He didn't direct Actually, he Rocky. Didn't, he didn't direct it. He wrote it. That thing you do is always a fun answer. I mean, Unforgiven is probably one of my go-to answers on this question. There you go. I'll go Adam. with a million dollar baby. There you, there you go. Yeah, the best uh, feel-good movie of the year. Um, <laughs> Any <laughs> year. <laughs> the next question. Favorite Paul Giamatti roles? Jason has uh, Jason has Shoot 'Em Up. Uh, Willem has Sideways. Uh, Jim Dietz has American Splendor. Adam has Sideways, The Illusionist, and Cinderella Man. Christine has Easiest Question Ever Posted, Barney's Version. But uh, one of my favorite Paul Giamatti quotes has to be from Rock of Ages. It's not Z, guys. It's Z. Guys, double E, double E, double the Z, double the flavor. Thanks, Christine. Um, Corinne has uh, Torino sideways. Or, I'm sorry, Christine has Corinne has sideways and John Adams. Uh, Mike has Lady in the Water. Alan has The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Big Fat Liar. <laughs> Justin has I pretty much like him in everything. My boys love him in Fred Claus. Uh, always love the, ne- the negotiator. Chris has straight out of Compton. Jerry has his role in Billions as his best so far, but on the big screen, I like Cinderella Man. Uh, Todd has he's also good in as Bob Zmuda in Man on the Moon, um, and he's one of the better parts of Burton's Planet of the Apes. Eric has Sideways. Christopher has Cinderella Man, Confidence, Shoot 'em Up, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and The Illusionist. And for lastly, Michael has Shoot 'em Up. A lot of shoot 'em up love on here. Um, oh. He is fun in that movie. I mean, it's a silly movie, but he's fun in it. Yeah. Uh, he's Paul Giamatti. He's always good. Um, American Splendor, I think, is a very good and underseen movie, um, but he's very good in it for sure. Yeah. For me, it's uh, I'll say Lady in the Water. He, cool. I mean, as much as I don't like that movie, he is very good in it. I mean, that's why you have Paul Giamatti there. Like, I mean, he, he has a monologue at the end that I think it, I've always remembered, um, even though I'm not a big fan of the movie. So it's, yeah, he's, he's, he's good. He's Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Our last question we have here, favorite medieval action movies? Uh, Richard writes, not sure if this counts, but A Knight's Tale. Yeah, it counts. It's medieval. Yeah. <laughs> it's A Knight's Tale. Uh, Dwayne writes, um, Excalibur. Mike has Monty Python and the Holy Grail. All the action we remember for that movie. Um, Justin has also Willow. Oh, he has a couple. Oh. Yeah, right. He has Willow. That's Medieval Times, right? Yes. <laughs> um, and he also adds um, the fir- the first night, uh, Sword on the Stone, and Beowulf. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Chris has Excalibur, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, A Knight's Tale, and in the Name of the Rose. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Beowulf sticks out right away now that I'm thinking of it. That's a good call by Willow, though. Good job, man. Matt Modigan. All right. Um, well, that was feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. 
let's wrap everything up. Let's start doing some out now episodes now. These movies that are coming out on Blu-ray and streaming and all that. First up on Blu-ray and DVD this week, we have The Equalizer 2. My Don't see for, it. My pick for the worst of the year so far. Um, yeah. Peppermint, which I know is many people's other pick for the worst of the film of the year so far. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah some winners, are, man. Yeah, exactly. There are some bad movies. Um, Smallfoot. That was fine. Okay. Glad to hear. <laughs> Uh, Unbroken Path to Redemption. This is like you know, That's like the, the follow up. Like yeah, it's like the follow up because like the the Angelina Jolie movie deals with like the war half of it. This was yeah, like I mean, this deals with the other part, which is actually a more interesting part of the book. Um, where he comes to Jesus. Yeah, where like but he deals with like the PTSD from being at war and everything, which is always I always thought the Jolie film stopped as like there's like another half of this story that I think is very important. Hmm, okay. um, let's see, Colette. This is the Kira Knightley film that came out. Uh, earlier this year okay um lizzie lizzie borden movie yeah the lizzie borden movie okay um a beautiful planet 4k and journey to the south pacific 4k these are those like imax documentaries Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah those are both on uh, 4k this week and the last kingdom season three there's a show out there it's three seasons called the last kingdoms there you go good job on getting three seasons yeah there's also a number of like specialty release we have maniac a horror film we got a new 4k restoration um evil dead 2 uh, one of my favorite movies. It's got Check a it new 4K DVD, Blu-ray. Uh, 40 Guns and a Dry White Season are on Criterion this week for Criterion fans. Um, De Palma and De Niro, The Early Years, is from Arrow. These are like the three first films from De Palma and De Niro. Um, so if you're interested in that, those are out there. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Cole and the Next Generation is coming out from Scream Factory this week, which is fascinating to me. Sure. This one, this one, this has the debuts of both Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, whose agents wanted them to bury this movie because they did not want them to know that they were involved in this as they were getting more popular in the 90s. Um, mm. Even now, because the original release had their names on the box cover, they had them once again remove their names from the box cover. <laughs> I mean, that's a good agent. Um, also from Screenback, we have Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, and The Mangler, which is a Toby okay. Hooper, Stephen King collaboration. Um, also, My Neighbor Totoro gets a 30th anniversary release from Shout Factory this week as well. Check it out. There you go. Um, let's see. Oh, there's one last thing I wanted to mention. There's a movie called River Runs Red, which is, I guess, like a direct DVD action movie. But I'm going to read the cast list off here because I found it hilarious. You have Tay Diggs, George Lopez, <laughs> Luke Hemsworth, R.J. Mitty, best known as Walt Jr. from Breaking Bad, <laughs> and John Cusack. <laughs> well, you know, those guys make more money than I do. I mean, it's a movie about <laughs> dirty cops, but I was just like, I was just looking at this cast list and seeing like grizzled George Lopez next to Tay Diggs and like <laughs> Walt Jr. holding a gun. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's making money. On uh, on Netflix this week, um, you have Mowgli, Legend of the Jungle, which we talked about earlier, uh, Dumplin' with uh, Jennifer Aniston, and Michael Jackson's This Is It is uh, back on Netflix. So if you okay, want to see his, cool. his last, you know, his concert movie before he, you know, passed away. Um, next week's show. Next week, um, I think our main reviews are going to be Spider-Man, colon, Into the Spider-Verse, and Roma. And uh, we also have uh, The Mule and Mortal Engines come out as well. I just want to throw a lot of movies. There. A lot of movies. But yeah, I think Spider-Man and Roma, two movies that couldn't be more familiar to each other, um, will probably be our main reviews. And yeah, last thing we do here. What should people go and see now, and what do you plan to see next? Adam, what should people see in theaters right now? You know, uh, I have not been to the movies in ages uh, so I'm not really qualified to answer that question, sadly. All right. What do, you, what do you plan to see next? What do I plan to see next? Well, I'm hoping I still got a, I have a few weeks left before my movie pass expires <laughs> with the, cause I have the, the still the old unlimited plan. Mm-hmm. Same. So on, I have a few weeks until that expires. So I'm hoping to catch some of the year, year end movies. All right. There you go. Abe. 
definitely recommend Green Book if you haven't seen it. And then I guess uh, the favorite's been getting a lot of uh, traction as well, so go check that out. Next, uh, definitely Spider-Man Into the, the Spider-Verse. Yeah, Buster Scruggs and Roma, and I think those are, you know, well, if, if, when you when it comes out, if it's in limited release, so if you can find it on a big screen, I would certainly recommend seeing it on a big screen. Yeah. Um, but Buster Scruggs is right there. It's right there on the TV. You can watch that right away. And uh, yeah, the next thing uh, I don't know, we're seeing uh, Mortal Engines on Tuesday, which I feel Sounds like great. I'm one of the few. I'm like, I'm excited about this movie. Like, I, you've been I, excited I, for for the beginning. And I, I, I have since been. last year when both of these trailers, Spider-Man and, Ro- and Mortal Engines, came out like in the same day. I'm like, yeah, this <laughs> looks interesting to me. And here it comes, and I'm like, yeah, I'm still interested in seeing what this is. So it's gonna bomb. I'm very sure of that, but I still want to see the movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, with all that, find us on the internet. Yeah, that's gonna do it for this week's episode. You can find all, you can find all my work on my personal blog, which has been recently updated um, at thecodezeek.com. You can also find me over my re- movie reviews over at Legal Entertainment. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe. Instagram Abe.Mula, twittercom Moose, hashtag Craig's. Same. Adam Gentry, where can people find more of you? Twitter.com/ILTwinAnarchist. All right. You can find all the other episodes. You can find all the other episodes about now their name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, everywhere you can find podcasts and things. Yeah, we're on, we're on the, the machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, email us at outnotpodcast at gmail.com. Facebook.com slash outnotpodcast. Twitter.com slash underscore podcast. And of course, send plenty of December-themed scary clown gifts over to Abe at outnotpodcast.tumblr.com. Tumblr is a dead site. Let's go. <laughs> uh, Adam, thank you very much for joining us Thank today. you, Adam. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure, and happy holidays to everybody listening. Sure. Oh, thanks. Yeah. But yeah, glad to hear from you. And until next time, when we just get into the Spider-Verse and just see how far that well goes, that's going to do it. So until then, so long. And I'm Gwen Stacy. Oh, Shenandoah, I long to hear you. Oh. evens out that's what it generally is on that thing i got a new okay. mic by the way so. oh is that yeah, the reason yeah. why uh no but i did get a new uh, mic so. okay. you sounded smarter that went he 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 by the way if you've heard, if you've heard that, <laughs> <clearly enough. laughs> all right let's do this